Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, here is Pastor James Myers. Uh, we're going to consider the first 17 verses of chapter 18. Uh, this is all having to do in Corinth. And remember, he wrote those two letters to the, the Corinthians. Well, technically, he wrote four, but we have two, uh, first and second Corinthians, which we've looked at plenty of times. We're going to look at some of it again uh, later. But So first, we're going to talk about the city of Corinth. These are kind of the fine five main points we're going to be looking at today. Paul goes back into the synagogue. There's a vision given to Paul, a gracious, wonderful vision. There's another false trial. Uh, and then there's a proconsul, uh, Galio, which we'll, 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 who we'll consider as well. But, so, we're reading chapter 18, the first 17 verses. <clears throat> After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, uh, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for, for by occupation they were tent makers, and reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from uh, Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be, on, be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I, I, I will go to the Gentiles." And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, uh, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Galileo was uh, proconsul of Achaia, Achaia uh, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. He has ears to hear the word of God. Let him hear it. Okay. So let's move to the next slide. So we're going to kind of look at these in chunks. So Corinth, so first of all, remember last week we saw Paul leaving Athens. Athens and Corinth kind of have a lot of similarities, but he left Athens with very little fruit. Remember there was Dionysius and then there was another lady uh, and then very few others basically, but he didn't gain much fruit in Athens. So he leaves, he goes to Corinth. Corinth, in, in, in its history, had times of poverty and affluence, but specifically at this time, this is after it was rebuilt by Rome, and so it's, it's a great commercial center there, uh, so they, their economy is really great, they, their architecture is really nice, uh, but they're also, they were also known, even at that time, they were known well for their gross immorality. And you see that in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. That's why when we looked at that, I tried to give you that as the backdrop because the, the, the backdrop of, of Corinth 
that is filled with that immorality. And, 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 and one of the, the immoralities that is taking place in the Corinthian church is a man's son is lying with his father's wife. Okay, so gross immorality, terrible immoralities that he's having to deal with. Um, but so Corinth, Corinth was a great city. We also know, like, if you go back to, you know, your grade school time, you know, you, you, you see those old Greek columns, the Doric, which was the Doric, which was very plain, it's just basically a pole, you know, just one column, you know, these are the columns that they have, you know, their architecture and everything. And then you had the, the Ionic, which was, it was, it was ornate at the Capitol, it had like these scrolls. I don't know if you remember that. Actually, I think I have, oh, whoops, not that one. Nope. Oh, yeah, let's go back to the first one. Sorry. It's actually the first one. Should be anyway. Get an idea of what I'm talking about. Well, yeah. So if you look really far, <laughs> you can kind of see the capitals of them. So the Ionic would have like these scrolls. The Corinthian would be very ornate. Like they'd have berries and fruits and all the pomegranates, all this kind of a thing. And the columns would kind of have these lines. I mean, some of the Doric ones too, but the Corinthians would, ve would be very, very ornate. Um, so Corinth was also fi about 50 miles west of Athens. It was a two-day journey by foot. Uh, it could take as short as four hours by sea, you know, with favorable winds or whatever, but it's not very far um, from Athens. Um, it, Corinth was mostly populated by Greeks and Romans, but had some Jews there, as we'll see. He goes to the synagogue. Um, and again, it, Corinth was known for its great luxury. Other than Ephesus... Uh, the the cities in in the Bible, Corinth is has the most ruins, kind of a thing. So Ephesus has the most, Corinth has has like the second to most. All of the structures that we read about are still there. Uh, in fact, this is the synagogue that he goes to. This was the synagogue that he goes to. Uh, Justice, the House of Justice, which was right next door to the synagogue, the ruins are still there. In fact, the place to which they take uh, uh, Paul in front of Galileo, that's still there. So all of these, all of the structures that we saw here, are, the ruins anyway, are still there. This again is a synagogue. Um, yeah. Okay. So Aquila, so after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth and he found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus. So Aquila was born in Pontus and he had recently come from Italy. So he had left, he had forsaken his native city of Pontus and went to Rome. So he went to Italy and then he was kicked out of there. Because we talked about uh, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. Remember in 52, so the historian Suetonius writes about this and he says it happened in uh, 52. Tacitus later affirms that. And so th this happened in 52. Just one of those things we know for sure. Um, and depart from Rome. And he came to them. Uh, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. Uh, and re okay. Uh, tent makers were, was a very... Um, lucrative business back then, especially for the Jews, because they were st still semi-nomadic. They would move a lot. You know, they would have to take these uh, trips to Jerusalem on occasion, so they'd have to stay. You know, even Paul, when he, he's got a two-day uh, journey, you know, he's got to make a tent somewhere, unless, you know, there's a city in between or whatever. But tent making is a very lucrative uh, business. And so, and, and obviously, so also a Jewish, a Jewish father in, in, in his day, um, was was obligated to teach their son 
a trade. Typically, it's what the father is doing. But there is an, an adage back then that basically the father who doesn't teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief. Because basically, that's all you're left with. It's irresponsible of the father not to teach a trade. So this was probably taught to Paul before he went and, and, and continued in his vast education. Remember, he became a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a student under Galileo, or Gamaliel. Remember, we talked about that when we looked at Gamaliel. And we'll see that again because he'll talk about that later. But, so we'll see that. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. We've, we've, we've seen this over and over and over again. This is what he does. Every time he goes into a city, he goes straight to the synagogue because he goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We've seen that in his letters. That's what he's doing here. Now, um, so, okay, um, and he was persuading both Jews and Greeks. Now, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So, he goes in and first, and this is how we've seen him do. He'll do this again in Ephesus. He will go and reason in the synagogue. And here, he's even persuading. Now, I don't suggest that the apostle, I don't suggest Paul was like lax or lazy in the first, you know, uh, but something, when I read this narrative, it's obvious that when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled. The Greek word here means really like uh, driven by all sides, almost like you're in a battle and you're just confronted by all of these people. So he's compelled. I mean, it's just a, it's a, it, it's a, it's a movement in his spirit that he cannot deny. Once the spirit has come and he's compelled, any man, uh, any gospel worker, if they're compelled by the spirit, would rather die than uh, um, not acquiesce to what the spirit. But so at first he's he's reasoning with them and he's persuading them. And then once his once his companions Silas, who took over for Barnabas, remember, and his son in the faith, something happens. Something moves in him, and he's compelled. Not now. Not he's not. He's not content with just going in there and reasoning with them. He goes in there and testifies to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So it's one thing to to suggest this as a is a logical necessity, right? Uh, that that Jesus must be the Christ logically, right? And some of them are persuaded from that. It's a whole other thing to testify Jesus is the Christ. One is to persuade, the other is to testify. Does that make sense? The one is a suggestion, and it's an argumentation, it's a debate. The other one is pronouncing truth, pronouncing salvation. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Um, where are we? Reasoned in the synagogue, persuaded both. Okay, so when they, yeah, he testified. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. So remember, he, we've seen him shake off his, his sandals, and that's what they do. Here, a lot of the prophets would do this. And again, though, this is showing, look, I, I am innocent of, of the blood on your head. The preacher, any, any, any worker of the gospel, any, any, any of us who testifies to Christ, if you are reluctant, if you fear the man, or if you're afraid of anything, their blood is on your head. If you know, if you know, if you know the truth, and you know your Christ, and, and you decide not to testify to this person, their blood is on your head. He has testified that Jesus is the Christ. Now, 
He shakes the dust off of him. It's like, okay, I'm clean. Your blood be on your own head. This, you're, you're culpable. You are responsible for your own fate. When you go to hell, I pray you never, you, you have nothing to say against my account. You have nothing to say. Your blood is on your own head. I have testified and you've denied. Okay. Um, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. We've seen him do that. And he departed from there and, and entered the house of a certain name, man named Justice, who we've, we've talked about. His house is still there. One who worshipped God. So this was a God worshipper, obviously a believer as well. Uh, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And the, many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So the first one, so all of these, he's getting all this, this flack from the, the, um, uh, the, oh, let me go back. Because they opposed him and blasphemed. Remember, these are Jews. So I, I, I have to assume that the, blasphe the, the blasphemy had to do with Christ. They were blaspheming Christ. But God is God. Okay, even though they've, they've set up this idolatrous Yahweh, God is God. And, and even to the pagan who, who uses God's name in vain, is still using God's name in vain. Just because they don't believe in him, that doesn't make it less a sin. And so just because they don't believe in Christ, that doesn't mean their blasphemy against Christ is not blasphemy. And so it's, it's, this is a huge, huge deal uh, that they that they were blaspheming. And that's why he's shaken off his his garments. He's he's not like you know just his feet. He's like my whole. That's that's insane. That's evil. I'm out of here. <laughs> and you you know now you're culpable for your own uh, blood. Okay, but so the ruler though of the synagogue believed, and then and then many of the Corinthians hearing that he believed believed and were baptized. By God's grace, oftentimes by God's great mercy, he, he saves a ruler so that those who are ruled will be saved as well. Because even a ruler over many is still a servant to the master of all, right? He is the ultimate master, but if, you know, God will save a ruler oftentimes to save the ruled. And that's what happens here. Crispus was most likely a very devout man. He came to believe in Christ, and these people, just like we saw Cornelius, remember he, he had a soldier under him who also worshipped God because he was a devout man, and, and all the rest. I, I, I know that this Christmas was a devout man, and, and so when he came to the faith, many heard that and believed and were baptized. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, this is, uh, this is an inscription. This is uh, Galio in Greek. So that's uh, Gamma. Well, that's Galio in Greek. Uh, so now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued. Well, let me, let's just, So this is the vision. This is the gracious vision that, that, that God has given to Paul. So we, we've seen... Now, this is, this is amazing, right? Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. If there's ever, if we've ever read a man who, who is fearless and preaches the gospel relentlessly and fearlessly, it's Paul. He's the most fearless man. He goes and gets stoned, he gets beaten, he gets flogged, all the rest. But, so, he's seemingly fearless, but yet seemingly, still, just seemingly. 
He's still a man. He's still a man. And remember, if, if he thinks that, that this is going to grow into hostility to, to possibly kill him, then he flees. Remember, we've seen him do that in other areas. God is telling him, no. No, don't flee. Don't be afraid. S but speak. Don't even just, don't be, don't like, not only be afraid, but continue to preach. Speak. Do not keep silent. Do not let your fear overtake you. Speak. And no one will attack you to hurt you. We'll return to this. No one will attack you to hurt you. We'll see at the end, even when he goes before the judgment seat and Galileo lets him go, then the Greeks, actually, and we'll talk about that, but they, they grab uh, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, Sosthenes, and beat him. So still, I mean, and Paul doesn't like that. Paul would have rather have gotten beaten, but then God would have been a liar. He says, no one's going to hurt you. And so he still doesn't suffer any harm, but another one suffers for him. But we'll get to that uh, at the end. But so no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. These people are not believers yet. That's why God, is, God has Paul here, and he's telling him, don't be afraid, don't be silent, speak, because I have many people in this city, and you are called to preach to them, to preach salvation, so that through the foolishness of preaching, we're actually going to find and consider that, but through the foolishness of preaching, many people can come to Christ, to come to God. That I have many people in this city, and I'm calling you to preach to their salvation. I have many people, and that's why you're here. So don't be afraid. Don't be silent, but speak, for I am with you. This is a salve and the aloe for any preacher, for any, for any man of God. I am with you. When... Uh, he sends out Joshua to, to uh, overtake uh, Palestine, basically, for Israel. They've got to go conquer all these lands. He tells him, do not be afraid, for I, I am with you and I will never forsake you. He tells him, go in and possess the land, for I have given it to you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will never forsake you. This is the greatest means of his comfort. Yes, a very comforting word coming from God. Don't be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. And very encouraging. That's great. Nobody's going to attack me. <laughs> you know, and this is even more wonderful. You have many people in this city, so my service won't be in vain. But all of this is for naught, unless God is with me. Unless God is with you. Again, going back to it is one thing to know about him. It is to know it's one thing to know he's there. It's another thing for him to be with you intimately, face to face, coming alongside as a companion, as a husband, as a father, as a sweet and glorious joiner in the faith and of our walk. Not just to testify to other men, but mostly, I mean, obviously men and women, but throughout our walk, we, we will always stumble. We'll always have toils. We will have tribulations. Without him, we suffer in vain. 
all of our labor, all of our sweat is nothing. That is nihilistic. That is meaningless. Without him, all of that is nothing. Without him, all of this reading, all of this glorious study, and all of this uh, fellowship, and all of our singing, and all of our praying, means nothing. Know him. Seek him. And seeking him, you'll find him. He says that. And we'll see that a little bit too. But don't be content with just hearing. Seek. Don't be content with just seeing. Seek. Seek after him. All that you are. In doing so, you'll find him. Okay. So he continued there a year and six months. So that he stays there for a considerable per period of time. He has many people in this city. I'm not to be afraid, but I'm supposed to speak and not keep silent. Cool. Well, I'm going to stay here. And he, stay, he ends up staying here for a year and a half. Because, and he's, he leaves because Sosthenes is beaten. Um, okay. Yeah. And teaching the word of God among them, obviously, because that he, he's supposed to speak and not keep silent. And remember, he's not teaching tr traditions or any of this silly nonsense or the Eucharist or, or whatever, sacraments or any of that. Um, but he's teaching the word of God among them. So, when Galileo was uh, proconsul of Achaia, uh, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. So, for a year and a half, apparently, the, the Jews didn't find it politically advantageous to take Paul to the proconsul to be judged. Once they get this new proconsul, hey, maybe this is a good time for, because politically it might benefit this person to, to please the Jews there, just like you know we saw uh, Pontius Pilate do and all the rest. But so maybe, maybe this guy, maybe this guy will, will, will handle Paul, you know. So they came up to him, they brought him to the judgment seat, and again, remember that's still sitting there. Um, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now again, this is after. Uh, Claudius Caesar had banished the Jews from Rome. So Galileo doesn't really like the Jews. There, there, there's a lot of anti-Semitism happening at this time, and so he doesn't care for the Jews. And, because remember, the reason uh, they banished uh, um, the, the Jews from Ro Rome is because of all the riots, all of the, all of the problems that were happening from, from this... Um, this problem having to do with a Christus, which is basically the pagan pr uh, pronunciation of Christus, so of Christ. You know, it's the uprising and all the hatred from the Jews to the Christians, and that carries over into all other areas, and so they're banished from Rome. Uh, so, they, they bring Paul to him, and they say, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. They're, they're hoping he thinks, that they're talking about the Roman law, but he knows, uh, and so, um, now when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo uh, said to the Jews, so Paul's about to give his defense, and he doesn't have to. Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing wick uh, or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. This is 
insulting. He's belittling him. There's a, there's a reason why I should just bear with you, not even like to actually execute the proper judgment, but just to put up with you. There might be a reason if this is actually a, a broken law or anything, but since it's not, I have no reason to even have you around here. <laughs> um, but if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look, at to, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. Now, this might appear... As a, as a good form of jurisprudence, right? He's, he's, he's letting Paul off because, uh, you know, and truly, Paul has not broken any Roman law. Paul hasn't broken any law, but specifically, he hasn't done, he hasn't broken a Roman law. So this seems like good jurisprudence coming from uh, uh, Galileo. Maybe unkind, but it's still just, right? It's still a just sentencing. Like, no, no, this man hasn't done anything wrong. If it's, if it's according to your own religion, then you deal with it yourselves. But, so he drove them from the judgment seat. Get out of here. Um, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. This is very interesting. This is very, very interesting. It doesn't say, so all the Jews, uh, uh, all the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. And now, now they're all driven away. So, the hatred for Paul wasn't only by the Jews. It was also by the Greeks. Now, the Greeks don't take Paul and, and take him to go beat him in front of the proconsul. Real quickly, let's just... Uh, so, they took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, and beat him before the judgment seat, but Galileo took no notice of these things. So, again, the jurisprudence, we thought, the, the good judgment that we thought uh, that Galileo might be is not the case at all if he's seeing this unjust beating without any testimony, without any trial, and he just takes no notice of it. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. He's just a Jew. I don't care. Because now all the Greeks are doing this, so he's not even, he's definitely not going to punish them. But it's just, so to go back, it's fascinating that the hatred of one group, because there would be animosity between the Jew and, and the Greek as well, you know, some form anyway, but they are united. Remember, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? They are united against the apostle. So the one tried this one way, they got driven away. So then the other take up another wicked cause and beat the ruler of the synagogue who did nothing. Sosthenes, Paul mentions Sosthenes in his first epistle to the Corinthians. He's a brother in the faith, and he's beaten instead of Paul. I'm sure he's glad. I'm sure he's pleased to take up the punishment of his father in the faith, as it were. Because this, this great apostle is not only Timothy, to whom he is a father of the faith. It's anybody who comes under his ministry. But this... And, and this will cause Paul to leave. He's not beaten. God remains true. But, uh, you know, he's not pleased to have another suffer in his stead. Have another suffer at all. Remember when, uh, uh, at, uh, well, place with Lydia. Well, where was that? I can't remember the name. Anyway, uh, but, uh, um, um, what are we doing? Oh yeah. So remember when um, uh, at the end when they were when they were just going to let them go 
from the prison and Paul's like, no, you know, you come out and get, get us yourselves. We need a public apology so this doesn't continue. This, this hostility to the Christians doesn't continue when we leave. Paul was very intentional about the safety of other believers. He is, he is ready and willing to, and prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ, and he will tell other people they will as well, but he, he does not cause that. He, he's not indifferent on whether or not it happens. It, it grieves him when it happens, so he, he must leave after that. Okay. Okay. Okay, so we're going to consider 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Again, so he, he, this is in Corinth, so he's writing to these people. Uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That comes from Isaiah 29, 14. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this, this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, that not, uh, not many uh, mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are uh, which are despised, God has chosen, and things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should, should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus and became for us wisdom from God, who became uh, for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And we'll look at that one uh, momentarily as well. So, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And, and then he goes on to, uh, the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. The, to the Jews, a stumbling block, because the, the, the sign that they request is ultimately the cross. And for them, that's a stumbling block. They don't, they don't again, remember, the, the messianic expectation was of, uh, was of this great ruler, warrior, to overtake and destroy all of their enemies and rule and reign in righteousness forever. Uh, so it's a stumbling block for the Jews. And for the Greeks, it's foolishness. Like, remember, we even talked about the immaterial and the material, the corporeal and the incorporeal. Uh, that the physical or the, the, in, uh, the metaphysical is true and good and physical is evil. So to them, it's foolishness that, that God would even become a man and then suggest that man that God could die. God did not die on the cross. There are many hymns that suggest that. That is heretical. God did not die on the cross. God, Christ the man, died on the cross. So when he was alive, man and God were, were one. They were united. So once the man died, God was united to a corpse. Now this is something we could we we'll have to talk about some other time. It's very, but then he's raised, and once again, man and God. But God did not die on the cross. God cannot die. 
It's essential. Anyway, okay. So foolishness of Greeks. So it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So this goes on to the sign. The Jews request a sign. The sign is the the cross, which is the power of God. Uh, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The wise, the fake wisdom that, that is so prevalent in our world. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. His wisdom is true wisdom. You know, all these men who, who think that they're just so, and even we think they're just, just so brilliant and everything. No, I will destroy that foolish wisdom, what man thinks is actual wisdom, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Again, not true prudence, not a Christian's prudence, not the, a Christian's understanding, but the foolishness of those who are perishing. And then uh, Paul goes on. Uh, so the Corinthians were like a, a lot like the Athenians in that they, they really liked rhetoric. The, 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 back then, rhetoric was a big deal, your oratory skills. But back then, it, you know, the eloquence was a big deal, but, but really it was a matter of practicality. Like basically, if you could sell something. You see that a lot in advertising now, but basically, did the speech work? Did, you, did, it, did it, you know... Fulfill its intended purposes kind of a thing. Not so much, you know, uh, does, is it true? <laughs> does it matter? But did it work? And so that's all they're, that's all they're concerned about as well. And so uh, uh, Paul goes on to, where's the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age or the debater of this age? You know, where is he? Where, bring out your wise. Bring out your scribe. Bring out your disputer of this age. For God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Come on, debate. Let's go. You know, this, this, all of that is foolishness. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, because there, it's not true wisdom. Paul is using an interplay of, of words here. He's, he's using the word wisdom, which is really foolishness. So the wisdom of God through the word... Uh, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. So again, the foolishness of the preacher, really, the foolishness of the message preached, the message being preached, the foolishness, what, what's considered foolishness to those who are perishing, either the stumbling block to the Jew or foolishness to the Greek. It's typically foolishness. Any, any pagan who hears of Christ dying on the cross thinks it's, it's just the silliest, most ridiculous thing ever, kind of a thing. And so... Um, yeah, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and we already talked about that. Um, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Again, the power goes to do with the sign. The, the power of God was demonstrated on the cross. That's amazing. You, you talk about the resurrection. You talk about uh, the power of uh, Christ healing the, uh, and raising people from the dead. Healing the lame. Healing the blind. Healing. But the ultimate power of God was hanging his son on a cross. Salvation, which he planned in eternity to send his son to suffer. Wise plan. Very gracious and amazing plan, which is not found anywhere else and is the only means of true righteousness, if you think about this for 10 seconds and actually meditate on this, the only way the perfect God can create all things good and then evil happens, which he ordained as something else we, we, I neglected to talk about in our last study. However, uh, so in that, in his plan, 
That is what's manifesting. He is manifesting that in and through his son, in the fullness of time, to be the power of God. This is the power that he planned from all of eternity. He, he was going to have a people, and he knew this was going to be necessary. So, through the wisdom of God and the power, um, so, but to those who are called, both Jews, now this isn't relativism. This isn't relativism. This is just true. To those who are called, it's, it's, it's this. But to those who aren't, it's, it's the other because they're perishing. They're fools. Um, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Any ridiculous aspersions that they might even place against God, the truth, even the most simple and base information regarding God, is far wiser and far superior to any of this supposed wisdom of man. Um, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now he's talking about the cross. Oh, that's good. Now he's talking about the cross. Um, the, the weakness, because they're seeing that is a weakness, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, that he's talking about us. Not many wise according, there are some. There are some. Augustine was, was brilliant long before he came to Christ. But there are some, but not many, not many. Wise according to the flesh, I certainly wasn't. Uh, not many mighty. So warriors, true warriors, not many of them are, are called. Uh, not many noble. So austere, you know, and, and royal and all the rest are called. But we've seen that happen. But anyway, uh, because this is what they expect. They expect anybody who's on a grand scale, anybody who's wealthy, anybody who's whatever, just is wise and powerful by nature. And that's how they got there kind of a thing. We see that in our world. We just think if, if any man becomes rich and, and all that kind of a thing, he's just great. He, he just must be brilliant. He must just have this capacity that very few people have. Um, but God doesn't call many of those. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. This, again, the supposed wise. Uh, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Again, though, we, we are fools as sinners. You know, insofar as we continue and maintain our sin, we are the most foolish, especially after having known God and coming to Christ, and we can continue in our foolishness. But either way, so we are foolish, um, and, the we and we're utterly weak. We, we have no power to gain our own salvation. We are weak, very weak. Um, so he's chosen the weak, and the foolish of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world again and the, and the things which are despised God has chosen. What a gracious, marvelous, fantastic, beautiful God. What a loving God. What is, and, and, and the things which are not to bring the nothing the things that are. So the, the things that are not. So again, he's talking about base things. The, the things that are not. So the, his people... That's why he's telling uh, Paul to, 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 to not be afraid, to not be silent, but speak, because I have many people in the city. They are not believers yet. So, to bring, and the things which are not, so then, they're not, 
to bring to nothing the things that are, the, the, the ones who think they are. Even the Jews who assume since they're children of Abraham, believe they are just part of the elect. That kind of a thing. So to bring to nothing the things that are, but to bring the things that are not to be. The things that, you know, he's, he's uh, calling. Um, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now he gets that from Jeremiah 9.23.24. This is our last slide until the poem. Okay. Uh, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor uh, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Briefly, very briefly, when Christ walked on the sea, Remember, there was a huge storm. All of his apostles are death, de deathly afraid. They're, they think they're going to perish. They're getting tossed all over the place. And all of a sudden, they see what they thought was a ghost. They say, oh, it's a phantom. It's a spirit. And then they finally recognize it's God. And then Paul, uh, Peter asks to join him. He gets out on the boat, walks for a little while, and then ends up sinking. You know... It's just interesting. That's why I really kind of want to mention, you know, in the first one, like, let's not, let's not make Christ this silly little thing. He was a man, but he was, but his power, his, his being a Messiah, right? We see when he's walking on the beach, they believe he's the Christ. They believe he's the son of the living God. And then all of a sudden, when he's walking on water, that's impossible, He's healing all these diseases, raising people from the dead. So they didn't see him as real when, it, when it's most real. Do you see what I'm saying? They, 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 they attribute what's not real to that which is real, and they attribute the real to that which is not real. It was truly Christ walking on the water. And they couldn't, they couldn't comprehend it. They refused to accept it until... They had to, until they must. And then Paul, or Peter, asked to go out, and, and he, he has faith, and, 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 and he starts walking, and then he starts to drift. Our faith, our faith is grounded on the real Messiah, the true and real Messiah, who can heal diseases, who can heal the blind, who can heal the deaf, can raise the dead, and he can walk on water because he's made the water. Remember, the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters when it was uh, dark and void. But, so, and um, uh, Paul had already alluded to this at the end of uh, the last passage, but this goes into a little bit more. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. So, again, these people... These, these men, these pagans or women, will glory in their wisdom. I mean, the man who, who's smart and stuff just loves the fact that he's so smart, that he's just so above everybody else, all the plebes, all the simpletons. He's just, he glories in his supposed wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, like the tyrant, the despot, all the rest. 
nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Many, 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 like that. Many who are rich glory in their riches. But let him who glories glory in this. This is the only means to glory. This is only the only reason to glory. That he understands and knows me. Not that he understands and knows about me. Not that he understands and knows a lot of information regarding me or knows my name, but he knows me. Let him glory in that. There's nothing else worth glorying once you're there. Once you meet your Savior, once you see your Christ real and true, you will find everything else vain. And, and, and you will find your wisdom is nothing. <laughs> you will find that your might is weak. You will find that your, rich, your riches is absolute poverty. We've talked about many times where that happens by God's grace. But you will find your only glory is found in understanding and knowing Him. That He is the Lord exercising loving kindness. We've talked about that word judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. This is what he delights in. His loving kindness, his judgment, and his righteousness. And the man who glories in understanding and knowing him in that context. In these he delights. Let's meet our maker. Let's make sure our salvation is secured that we understand and know Him and the power of His crucifixion, resurrection, and salvation, that we might be part of that great harvest, that we might enjoy Him and enter into the kingdom of God now before we have it in eternity. Our gracious Christ will walk with us throughout our life and then carry us into glory. Remember, he descended, that with him we ascend. When he ascended to the right hand of God, he truly, in a way, took us all with him already. It just waits for that day. This is already done. So trust in your Savior. You were created and made for his glory. What a wonderful, wonderful purpose. What a wonderful end. What a wonderful means. What, a, what an amazing life. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing gift that he didn't have to do. But he's chosen out of his wise counsel to come, to suffer, and to save. Know him. O word of God, thou blessed fount, quench the saintly thirst. May the rock of ages be our mount, where scartless streams dispersed. And whence the peace from death to life is cleansed in us within, once risen from the dusty strife, let thy witnessing begin. The same word who came to save, may he now through us proclaim, amidst the storm and highest wave, let us lift his holy name. Through peace as well as war, may our language be as one, deep in waters or upon the shore, May it all be for God's Son, till at last we are secured beyond the Jordan's banks, for in Christ we are assured he our ceaseless calls for thanks. I did forget to change it. All right, let's pray.
Father, thank you for your majesty. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your power. And thank you that by your grace, you call many to yourself through the foolishness of preaching, for the foolishness from the foolishness of inept, foolish men. Father, come into our lives. Show yourselves to your children and make your glory known. And we might walk all the days of our lives alongside of our Savior. Now, until forever, world without end. It's in His name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue into the Word of God.